This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Well, praise the Lord, family. Are you well and ready for the word? Amen. Praise God. Well, won't you stand? Let's open in prayer. For you watching at home as well, stand with us. Let's participate in every part of the service so you feel like you're here. I wish you were here. It would be better to see your faces. Well, let's open in prayer. But before we do that, I want to take this opportunity and thank Apostle Theo and Dr. Bear for the awesome privilege of being able to minister the Word of God to you this evening. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for your goodness and your mercy. As always, Lord, we remind ourselves that without you, we can do nothing. So tonight we come here to learn from your word, that your word may change us, that your word may help us to grow into what you've destined us to be. And Father, in advance, we want to give you alone all the praise, the honor, and glory. I do not trust in my ability, but totally depend upon you to speak through me. This is your church. These are your people. And I believe you're going to minister through me the word you have for them this evening. And we praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you may be seated, family. I encourage you to have a pen and a notepad, but very least, at least use the church app so you can go and look at the notes there, filling as we go along and through this evening. Now, as you've heard, we are doing part four of the book of James. Haven't you just loved this journey through the book of James? I mean, it's really been amazing, hasn't it been? All the different things we've learned. I mean, last week, Pastor Johnny spoke to us about favoritism and not being judgmental. Do you remember that? Great message. The only bad part was those soccer jerseys. I neither support either of those teams, so that was a bit of a problem for me. <laughs> but other than that, it was a great message, and we really, really enjoyed it. You know, family, it has been said that the book of James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's like the Proverbs of the New Testament. You know, it's wonderful sitting and listening to somebody that's got years and years of experience, and they just sit and they just give you all these little nuggets. Isn't that wonderful just to sit with somebody who's got all this life experience and they just give you these little power statements. It's like reading the book of Proverbs with all these power statements which helps you in your life. You see, that's what the book of James is like in the New Testament. It's also been said that the book of James can be described with one word with two letters. And that's the word do. It's a book about applying and doing. That's what it is. Taking the word and applying it and doing it, and that's what we learn in the book of James. And so tonight, I want to speak to you a little bit about dynamic faith. Who wants dynamic faith? We all want dynamic faith, amen. And you see, it is true that we all have an element of faith with corresponding actions. You have it, whether you realize it or not, you have an element of faith with some corresponding actions. You see, faith is a belief in something with a corresponding actions. It's not just a belief in something. There has to be an action that corresponds with what you believe. For example, when you came here this evening, you got into your motor car and you put the key in and you just started it. You didn't believe God and confess. And, well, maybe some of us had to. <laughs> maybe for some of us it was a 50-50. But you got in and you just started it with a belief that your car would start. Isn't that right? You walked into this building or one of the other buildings, wherever you are this evening at church, and when you came in, you didn't first wonder, I wonder if the ceiling's going to collapse on me. Well, don't worry, it won't. But you didn't, that wasn't a concern for you. You just had faith that I'm coming into a place and everything's going to be great. I didn't see anybody either when they came into the service first check out their chair, kneel on it, 
check it out. No, you just sat into it believing you had faith that that chair was going to hold you, right? So we've all got an element of faith in our life where we just believe some stuff without really checking it out. So it is there, most definitely. And so, family, we all have faith and we all believe in things with an expression, uh, with an action, with a corresponding action. All of us have that. And that's really what James is wanting to say to us this evening. He wants to do that. He wants to show us that we, are, we have got faith with action, or at least we should have a faith with some corresponding actions. That's what we need to do. You see, our, with our lives serving the Lord, we need to have more than just a belief in what he says. There has to be an action that follows what he says. And you see, family, corresponding actions in our life doesn't save us as a believer. Your actions don't save you, but your corresponding actions to what you believe is an identification that you really believe in something. Your actions prove that. I'm sure you've heard this said many times before, that actions speak louder than words. Have you heard that before? Your actions always speak louder than words. Why? Because your actions are truly an expression of what you believe in. To all the married couples or the people in new relationships, you've heard this said many times before. Don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. Isn't that right? Because your actions are truly an example of what you believe in. And so in James chapter 2 from verse 14, and we're going to read from verse 14 through tonight all the way to 26 in different little pieces. But yeah, in James 2.14, James says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? So he's asking a question. If you have faith, but you don't have any actions, can that faith save you? He's asking us all that question, and that's his opening point. As I mentioned, I want to just re-emphasize is that we are definitely not saved by works. We are not saved. In other words, we're not put into right standing with God because of what we do. But we definitely are saved for works. We're saved to do good things so that we can show people the goodness of God. Doesn't the Bible say that it's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance? Well, how do they see that goodness if it's not through you and I as believers? Loving and caring and showing them the example of what we believe in. And so really, family, that's what James wants us to understand. There needs to be an action of what you believe in. So tonight, we are going to go through the scriptures, as I've mentioned to you, And we're going to have a look and see what James is saying. And James is going to describe to us three lifestyles of faith, three of them, three expressions of what faith can look like and what the results of those faiths are. Now, two of them are not great. They're a little bit negative. And one is a dynamic faith, and we're going to end there. But it's important for us to look at all of them so we can examine ourselves. And that's exactly what Paul says here as we read in Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, Paul says this. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Say this with me. I'm not failing the test. You're definitely not. But you see, I love what he says in his opening statement. Examine yourselves to see. Whenever you want to find out about something to see if it works properly or if it's broken, what do you do? You examine it. You have a look at that thing. When you are studying as a student, 
You write an exam at the end. Why? What does the exam do? The exam proves whether you've learned enough that you can pass. That's what the exam does. So we, through our lives as Christians, should always be examining ourselves to see where we are when it comes to our faith. And that's what we're going to do this evening. We're going to look at three types of faith to examine ourselves so we can say, hey, I need to sharpen up there, or hey, I'm on the right track. Are you ready to go? So let's have a look at them this evening. We're going to start off with the first one, and that is faith that is dead. Faith that is dead. James 2.17 says this. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I mean, that is really clear. James couldn't have put it any other way. Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it is dead. So we're going to see this theme right through this evening, that there has to be something that is visually seen that represents what I believe. We're going to see that. I love what John Calvin said. John Calvin said this. He said, it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone. Isn't that powerful? Let me read that to you again. It is faith alone that justifies. But faith that justifies is never alone. So he himself knew that if I'm a believer in God and I know that he saved me, there's something you will see in my life that proves that I'm a child of God. Amen? And so let's have a look here under dead faith. What are some of the things that I can look out for to warn me if my faith is dead? Well, one of those things is lip service, not lifestyle. Lip service, not lifestyle. It's something we are saying but not really doing or something we've stopped doing. Have you seen that? Many people, they talk a good talk. Often in sport, they say that, hey, man, they can talk a good game, but they don't really do it on the field, right? So we've got to make sure we don't have a lip service without the lifestyle. Things we once did, but for whatever reason, perhaps we stopped doing. You know, when people get saved right in the beginning, there's a zeal and an excitement and they are telling everybody about Jesus. They're out there in their workplace or their schools and they're witnessing. They're never missing a service. They're in church. They're in group life. They are doing it. Their lifestyle and their lip service is exactly the same. But sadly for many believers, as time goes on, they stop all those super involvements by being in church every weekend or not perhaps being uh, in group as often as they did and those type of things. That's not great. But yet they speak as if they're still doing them. They refer back to the time when they once did them, and people believe they are still doing them, but they're not. I mean, to all the, the married couples, maybe to the wives, you can uh, attest to this one. Let's just say your husband takes you out on the most amazing date. All the ladies? Okay, at least Pastor Jenny's excited about that. But uh, he takes you out on this amazing date. And you go out there and it's the best restaurant you've ever been to. The food's amazing. Then your husband takes you out and you go watch a nice uh, romantic movie. And then you walk around and just look at the beautiful scenery of the city. And you come home and he's bought you flowers. I mean, what an amazing evening, ladies, right? And there's your husband telling everybody what he's done and what an amazing evening that was. And she just whispers and says to him, yeah, but that was two years ago. What about today? Why aren't you doing it today? And really, that's what James is saying. Come on, guys. We can't just have lift service and no lifestyle. It's got to be a daily activity, not something we once did. You see, he goes on to say this in James 2 from verse 15 and 16. He says this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. 
If one of you say to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? What good is it to say, hey, brother, bless you. God bless you. And you leave them in the same condition you found them. If you have the means to make a difference, make a difference. If you can give them a plate of food, give them a plate of food. If you can buy them something to eat, buy them something to eat. If it's in winter and you can give them a blanket, give them a blanket. Let them see that not only do you believe in Jesus, they can see Jesus in what you do. There's this evangelist and he, and he goes around and he says, we love to, to do good to people, to show them the love of Jesus in a practical way. He shared stories where they would just mow somebody's lawn, just out of the blue. And the, the person would come out of the home and say, why are you cutting my grass? He would just say, I just want to show you the love of Jesus in a practical way. And so we need to be like that. We need to be people that are actively showing our faith. The second point under dead faith, or the second little bullet point, if you're following in your notes there, is leaves with no fruit. Leaves with no fruit. We look good on the outside, but what is really on the inside? You see, Jesus spoke about that. Do you remember the story when he was traveling, and he looked up and he saw the fig tree, and the fig tree had leaves on it? Now, what that would normally mean, whenever there was leaves, there had to be fruit. That's just how a fig tree produces its fruit. So the tree was really saying to Jesus, hey, I've got fruit on me. And he went over to get some of the fruit, but when he got there, there wasn't any. What did Jesus say about that tree? He said to that, to that tree, no one shall eat from you again. He cursed that tree because it presented something that it wasn't. It lied to him, really. That was the truth. It lied to him, right? And so many people are good at showing something that isn't really there. We portray it well. We say the right thing. We speak the right thing, but it's not in our lives. And you know, for example, if we were in church, or let's just use me as an example, if I'm in church and I'm raising my hands and I'm worshiping the Lord, and you look at me and you say, wow, man, he looks like a good Christian. But that is the only time I worship the Lord. I never pick up my Bible again for the rest of the week. I don't pray one second, come to church the next week. I do the same thing. That is leaves without fruit. I'm portraying something that isn't really there. And so dead faith is that. Dead faith is lip service without lifestyle and leaves without fruit. And James warns us throughout the book of James at least three times that faith without works is dead. So now let's have a look at the next one. And the next one I believe is even worse than having dead faith. And that is faith that is deceived. Why do I say that that is worse than dead faith? Because deceived faith is somebody thinks they're good and they think they're right, but they're not. That's worse. If you're dead, you're dead. You know you're not doing it right. But if you're deceived, you think you're okay but you're actually not. And so it says here in James 2.19, uh, it says, you believe that there is one God. Good, excellent. You believe in one God. But this is the next statement, takes the wind right out of his sails. It says, even, even the demons believe that and shudder. And you and I know demons aren't serving Jesus, right? He's comparing a person with deceived faith to demons. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you believe that there's God, one God. That's excellent. Well done. But your lifestyle is completely opposite to that. And so family, this evening, as we look at deceived faith, there are three signs that we can look for to see if we have a faith that is deceived. And we never want to do that. You see, it's possible for your heart to deceive you to believe a lie. It is possible. You can believe something so much that's not a truth. 
There is a, there's a, a minister in America, his name is Dr. Mike Murdoch, and he has this saying, he says, my greatest fear is to believe a lie. My greatest fear is to believe a lie. Can you imagine living your whole life, and when you get to the end of it, you realize that what you lived was fake, it wasn't real. How sad that must be, right? To live that with passion, and it's not even real. So let's have a look at three signs that can point out to us whether we have a deceived faith. This is your litmus test. This is you doing the little test to see, do I fit into any of these categories so I can do something about it? The first one is knowledge with no change. Knowledge with no change. Knowing what I'm supposed to do but not doing it. I love what Apostle Theo says. He says, knowledge that cannot be applied is useless. Knowledge that cannot be applied is useless. Why go and fill yourself with a whole lot of knowledge that you're never going to use? What's the purpose? What's the purpose, right? And that's why I love our Bible college so much. Is because it's a, a Bible college where you learn to minister in the word, things of God. You practically can apply things. It's better than going to a place where it's just theology, where you come out with a head full of knowledge, but you haven't learned to apply it. How many of you would go to a doctor or a heart surgeon who just got 100% for every single exam they did, but they've never operated on one person? You number one. I would say, no, no. I want a guy who's done this a few times, right? Who's applied action to their knowledge. There's a statement that says this. A revelation must cause a revolution. A revelation must cause a revolution. In other words, when I have a revelation about the things of God, it should cause a change in my life that changes my life. And so we never want to be a place where we know what's the right thing to do. There are people that know. I should read my Bible every day, but they don't. There are people that know that I should be in prayer daily with the Lord in a relationship, but they don't. There are people that know they should have been here this evening, but they're not. So you're on the right side. And that's just being honest. We know what's the right thing to do. We have knowledge, but we do not apply it. There's no change. The second point under deceived faith, to see whether a person has deceived faith, is this. There's no love for Jesus. There's just no love for Jesus. You see, Jesus said these words. He said, if you love me, you'll do what I command. That's what he said. It's very simple. If you love me, you'll do what I command. You'll do what I ask of you. Isn't that right? And he said those things. So really, if a person is not doing what Jesus is asking them to do truthfully, they don't have a love for him. You see, I don't read my Bible because I have to. I read my Bible because I want to know him better. I don't come to church just because, well, it's the right religious thing to do. No, I want to come to church because I know this is where the family is. I'm going to hear a word from heaven that will change my life. Why? So my relationship with him will be better. I'm not a tither because I have to. I'm a tither because I love him and I want to see his kingdom extended. That's why I do it. It's, everything is birthed out of love. And if we are not doing it out of love, if, we, if we're not doing it really, we are saying that we don't love the Lord. And that's just the bottom line. And the last little bullet point, which is so important for to, to, to examine whether we have a deceived faith, and that is rebellion with no repentance. Rebellion with no repentance. Thinking we can live any old life any way we want to. And unfortunately, there are uh, churches out there that preach a, a gospel that means you can just live as you want. It's all good. You gave your heart to Jesus at some point. Doesn't matter what you do, you'll be okay. That's a once saved, always saved philosophy. We don't agree with that. 
I believe that's an insult to the cross of Jesus to believe that I can, he paid that price for me, but I can just carry on living any old way I want to. That is a rebellion with no repentance. You see, family, there's a difference between saying, will you forgive me, I'm sorry, and repentance. They're two different things. You see, let's just say I stole Pastor Andre's car. Let's say I stole his car. And I get home and I realize, gee, this thing, I shouldn't have done that. So I go back to him and say, hey, Pastor Andre, I, I'm, I, want, I want to ask for forgiveness. I'm sorry I stole your car. Will you forgive me? And he says, I forgive you. But then I keep his car. You see, asking for forgiveness is one thing. Repentance means you've got to turn something around. I've got to give him the car back. That's what repentance is. Saying sorry is one thing. Repentance is turning the action around. So if I was now, let's just say I was going all around town and I was uh, bad-mouthing Pastor Andre. I was just out there bad-mouthing him and I go to him and apologize. Repentance means I have got to go to those other people and say, you know what, I was wrong. So there's a difference between saying I'm sorry and repentance. And that's one of the ways we can see if a person has deceived faith because there is rebellion without making right. Not saying sorry. Sorry is just one step. And so we've got to understand that when we're walking in other knowledge with no change, no love for Jesus, or rebellion with no repentance, our faith is deceived because we think we're okay, but we're not. So you still with me, family? Okay, here comes the good part. Are you ready for that? <laughs> and that is we want to have a look at a faith that is dynamic. What does a faith that is dynamic look like? Well, James 2.22 says this. You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Now, this is speaking about Abraham. The story of Abraham, and he had to offer up his son Isaac. We're going to talk about that in a moment, so I don't want to get into too much of it now. But yeah, God is saying in James, he's telling us that you see that his faith and his actions were working together. He had to have faith and actions. They were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did, not just by what he believed. Can you see that? That's what he's saying. That family is a dynamic faith. James 2, uh, 17 to 18 says this. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Remember what I said in the beginning? Don't tell me you love me, show me you love me. I can prove to you what I believe in by what I do, right? I mean, if I was a, a car salesman, let's just say I was selling Mercedes-Benz and I was selling them and you came to our car lot and you wanted to buy a Mercedes-Benz and I'm telling you all about it and it's a great car and it's got this, it's got that, come standard of this. Oh man, I'm talking out a good game here. And then you lean over to me and say, excuse me, so what, what Mercedes do you drive? And I said, I drive a BMW. All of a sudden, my whole sales pitch is worth zero. Isn't that right? Because I'm not following up what I'm believing with what I'm doing. And so we need to understand that we have to do what we believe. That's what James is saying. I'll show you what I believe in by my actions. My actions speak louder than my words. Jesus said this in the gospel. He says, you will know them by their fruit. You will know them by their fruit. It didn't say you'll know them by their words. You'll know what is in their life. If I say to you, Ernie Els, you say golf. 
Because he speaks it? No, because he plays it, right? And so what's on their life, what you see, tells you what they're believing or what they're doing. And so when we look at this, I love this, Charles Spurgeon. You ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Amazing man of God. He said this, I love this, listen to this. The grace that does not change my life will not change my soul. The grace that does not change my life will not change my soul. If my actions, if there's no change in what I'm doing, inside there's no change. And God said, I look at the heart. I look at the heart. If there's nothing on the outside, there's nothing on the inside. Amen. So then, family, what does dynamic faith look like? What does dynamic faith do? There are three points. Let's have a look at them. The first one is this. Dynamic faith steps out. Dynamic faith steps out. James 2.21 says, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? I mean, for me, that is one of the greatest demonstrations of faith. There are many good ones. Jesus on the cross is a great demonstration of faith. Of course, the greatest one at all. But yeah, Abraham, he believed God so much that he was willing to sacrifice the very thing he waited 25 years for because his faith and his actions were working together. He said, if God gave it to me and I waited so long, he can do it again. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know what he's going to do. But you know what? I'm going to step out and I'm going to believe. You see, family, we need to understand that sometimes in your walk with God, it doesn't look right. Sometimes you walk with God, it doesn't feel right. But if he's saying do it, you step out in spite of what you feel or believe. I mean, what about Peter on the, uh, walking on the water? Jesus said, come. He could have thought, well, you know, no one's walked on water before. This stuff's a bit sloshy and I'm going to sink. And no, he just stepped out. Jesus said, come, I'm going to do it. Did it look right? Did it feel right? Definitely didn't, but he chose to do it. You see, a dynamic faith steps out in spite of how what I feel, in spite of what I think. God said to Abraham, I want you to do this. Even though in Abraham's mind, I can imagine as a father what his mind must have been going through. But he said, I'm going to do it because, Lord, I know no matter what, I will have a son. And he just believed God. So a dynamic faith steps out no matter what. It believes God in spite of how, what we feel or what the circumstances are around us. We are stepping out. Church is open, amen? And we're stepping out. We believe it. The second point is that a dynamic faith speaks out. Dynamic faith speaks out. In James 2.25, it says this, In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. She did an amazing thing. Listen to what she said in Joshua 2.9. She says this, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. She's saying to these spies, listen, in our eyes, this city, you are the enemy. You're coming against us, but I'm for you. I'm speaking out. I'm for you. I'm with you. I mean, that's a dangerous statement. Her own people would have killed her. But she was willing to speak out and say, this is what I believe in so much so that I'm going to do what you ask me to do. And I'm going to speak out. You see, we need to be able to do that as believers. We need to speak out in the midst of perhaps being persecuted for what we believe in. We need to be a believer that needs to stand up for what we believe in, even if others don't or they laugh at us, right? Perhaps you need to do just something simple and speak out and go and say sorry to somebody. 
That's an action of your faith. Just go and give somebody an encouraging word. Maybe there's somebody at your workplace or at your school just needs to be encouraged. You need to just speak out and say, listen, I don't know what you believe in, but Jesus loves you. We've got to be a people that speak out. Amen. And then the last one, under having dynamic faith, is a dynamic faith works out. Dynamic faith works out. You see, family, it's a journey. It's a process. Going back to the story of Rahab, what they asked her to do was they asked her to put a red or a scarlet rope out of a window to identify her home. Okay, that's what she had to do. And so she agreed to do this. And so the children of Israel are coming and they're coming to march around the city. So day one, she's got the scarlet rope out and they march around the city, but nobody comes to Rahab. The next day, she puts the scarlet rope out again. Day two goes around, they march around the city, but nobody comes to Rahab to rescue her and her family. Day number three, same thing, she puts the scarlet rope out. They march around the city, she hears nothing, nobody comes to rescue her or save her. She could have easily after that just said, you know what, they've forgotten about me. She could have pulled that rope in and we would never have heard of Rahab again. But we read about her in the genealogy of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Because she was willing to work out her faith. Day four, day five, day six, day seven. She continued to do it even without seeing any change because she was willing to work it out. You see, family, James 2.26 says this. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let me illustrate that verse for you. The Bible tells us that the real you and me is a spirit. Okay, we are a three-part being. We are a spirit, we possess a soul, and we live in a body. Your soul is your will, your mind, and emotions. So the real you is your spirit. Let me put my hand in this very colorful, nice little glove here. Pastor Andre lent it to me. <laughs> so this glove is moving, not because of the glove, because of my hand inside it. Can you see that? Okay, the fingers are moving. So when I take this glove off and I put the glove over there, the glove is, looks dead because there's nothing inside of it. You see, family, your body is alive because you have a spirit inside of it. When we pass on and go to be with Jesus, our spirit leaves our body and there's just this empty tent left behind. So what James is saying here, he's saying to us, as the body without the spirit is dead, when the spirit leaves the body, the flesh that's behind is dead. He's saying that just as that is dead, so your faith without works is the same. It's dead. You have to have accompanying actions that follow what you believe. Martin Luther said this. It's impossible to separate or take sides on faith or works. It is as trying to separate a burning flame from its brightness. You cannot separate the burning flame from its brightness. So you cannot separate and works. They have to work together in order for them to be, for there to be real faith. So in closing, Philippians 2.12, what am I getting at, friends? Is that you should simply keep on doing what you've been doing from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, Redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God 
And I want to encourage you as children of God, let us be people of action. Let people see our faith by what we do. Let them know that on Sunday you're not home because you're here. Let them know that you're a person of prayer, that you're a person that reads the Bible. Let them know that you're there to help them in their time. of. Let them see Jesus in what you do. You know, I heard this said by Apostle Alan years ago, and he said this. He said, your lifestyle may be the only Bible that somebody else reads. So they look at you and they see Jesus in you. We can be like that. We can be a people of dynamic faith, amen, full of action for the Lord. So I want to encourage you this week. Take some next steps. Do something for the Lord. If you're not in a group, join a group. If you want to study the Word, come on, get on involved. We have a lot of other courses you can do here. Go to the Bible School Counter. There's a lot of foundational courses. Add some action to what you believe. And I can guarantee you, friend, you will grow so much faster and you'll see the hand of God so much more on your life when you do that. Amen? Well, I hope that's encouraged you this evening. God bless you all. Won't you at this time, praise the Lord. Amen. Won't you at this time just bow your heads and close your eyes for those watching online, for those in other venues, wherever you are. Won't you just bow your heads at this moment? I've come to the most important part of this service, and that is where we give you an opportunity to make right with our loving Father. Now, friend, if you've never invited Jesus into your heart, I want to give you that opportunity today. If you once served Him, but you've grown cold and you know that your life is not where it should be, you might recognize that you have perhaps even a deceived faith. Come back to Him today. If you'll allow me to pray this prayer with you, you can once again reignite that relationship with the Lord. And lastly, if you're just not sure what will happen to you when you breathe your last, you're not sure if you'll make it to heaven or not, friend, please allow me to include you in this prayer and you can know for sure that heaven is your home. So as I pray for you this evening, if you want to come to Jesus for the first time, come back to Him or know for sure that heaven is your home. At the count of three, just raise your hand while heads are bowed and eyes are closed so I can see it and those in the other venues that are there. Won't you raise your hand now? One, two, three. God bless you. God bless you. Wonderful to see your hands going up. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you're at home watching wherever you are, you can just raise your hand as a sign that you want to make right with God. My friend, you can put your hand down. Thank you so much. Now, I want you to pray this prayer with me, no matter where you are. Let's all say this together. Even if you are a child of, child of God, let's say this together. Say this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this evening just as I am. Please forgive me for every sin. I do believe Jesus is Lord and He was raised from the dead. I choose tonight to forgive every person who has hurt me or offended me. I thank you that I am now part of your loving family. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, congratulations. Welcome to the family of God. You've made the best decision you can ever make, friends. So we are truly so proud of you. At this time, I'm going to hand over to the venue hosts and for the rest Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.